again, we're the only church in town doing Metallica. Uh, or Bob Seger for all of us over 30. Uh, there you go. So here's the, here's, the, here's the deal, all right? We're trying to find a higher definition of our circumstances. The question I want to look at tonight is what do we do when somebody does something to us? Directly or indirectly that hurts us, insults us, insults us damages us, divorces us, hits us, injures us, ra- <coughs> rapes us, ruins us, kills us, injures us, or people that are really close to us. And here's why it's really important that we get our arms around that question is that we have very little control over what people do to us. And I know that sounds kind of hopeless and depressing, but be honest. I mean, you can try as hard as you want, do everything right, and be proactive. You have very little control over what people do to you, right? I mean, kids, you have a little control um, over your parents. You can't make your parents do anything. You can't pick your parents and you can't make them treat you different. You can try, but really it's kind of in their court, right? And parents, you can do everything right. You can raise them by the book and everything else, and they're free agents. They can make their own choices and look back at you and go, I don't want the life you want for me. They're, they're able to make their own choices. You can buckle up and buy airbags. You can't stop drunk drivers. You can pour yourself into your marriage, but if someone decides to bail, they bail, right? And you can, you can work your tail off at work and get passed over or laid off. You can do everything right. You can even love Jesus with all your heart. And Jesus himself said this. He knew this. This is what he said. He says, I tell you these things. And the things he just told them was, um, I'm about to be murdered tomorrow. I tell you these things so that in me you can have peace. And he says this, in this world, world, you what? You will. You will have trouble. Not maybe there's a good chance or if you screw up, then you'll have trouble. No, he says, in this world, I promise you, you'll have trouble. Jesus did everything right and they nailed him to a cross. And he turns around and says, says this, listen, no matter what you do, right or wrong, whatever, in this world, you're going to have trouble, pain, conflict. And we all know that. That's our resume. We all, we all know. We've all been there. So the question tonight is not, will things go wrong in our life? Will people hurt us? They will. You know, intentionally, unintentionally, that's, that's not what we're going to try to get our arms around. The question we want to look at is, what do we do when people hurt us? And the reason that's so important to answer that question is how you answer that question not just determines what you do and how you act, but who you, who you begin to see yourself to be. You define yourself. And last week, you know, this is kind of what we looked at. My story, maybe it's yours. I tend to act and, and react based on who I think I am. And I spent a lot of my life trying to kind of to, uh, to confirm that's who I am or to disprove the definition of what I've kind of landed on. And so that Bob Seger Metallica song turned the page. Hey, I said, can you guys play that song tonight? And here's why. It's a song about a man who hates his life. He's playing a rock star. He, he goes from woman to woman. And externally, you look at him and go, dude, he has got it made. He's a rock star. But inside, he says, I'm about to explode. And when he lays awake at night... You know, all he can remember are the words of the woman who left him and alcohol and women and fame can't drown out what she said, what she said. Can't drown out memories. When I was in high school and later in college, I used to sit in my car and play Pink Floyd's Comfortably Numb. That was my song, you know, and I get lost in that music. I turn it up so loud and then I just remember, there is no pain. You are receding. That's a good place to be sometimes. See, sometimes numb is better than reality, isn't it? I'd just rather kind of get out of it, you know? One way to deal with pain is just kind of numb it. And that's what a lot of us have looked, like, looked for in the bottom of a bottle or a, or a substance, that place, that state in your life where you can kind of, kind of look at what happened to you or, or some other people and just go, blank it. <laughs> Not blank it, blank it. I can't say it, it's church. But you know what I mean, all right? He's like, screw it, I can't, I can't do this. You know what, what you did didn't matter anymore. I'm trying to, I'm trying to dumb it down. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to plug my ears and go, what you did to me doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter. I don't need you. It doesn't matter. But it does. 
You know, that's how, that's how I've tried to deal with some of the pain in my life. Another way is just to set out to prove them wrong. You called me this, I, I'll prove to you I'm not that. You treated me like this, I'll prove that I'm better than that. I'm not that person. Or I buy into it, and I just live, in, I live up to it. He called me this, he treated me like this, he drugged me through this, whatever. I'll just keep on playing that game. That's who I am. Of course, my common, most common response to when somebody wrongs me or hurts me, it's really easy. It's payback time. It's payback time. That's how I... Deal with pain most of the time or anger. Call it revenge. Call it you owe me. Call it even the score. There's something in me that says, if I can make you hurt like I hurt, if I can pay you back for what you did to me, if I can somehow make you feel like I feel and lose what I have lost, if I can make you pay for it and you learn your lesson. If you hit me in the eye, I'm going to poke you back in in your eyes. And here's the thing is, I I won't be happy until everybody that's poked me in the eye has gotten their eye poked. Everybody that's knocked out one of my teeth has got their teeth knocked out. And when all the eye pokers and teeth knockers have been punched in the mouth, somehow I think the universe will come back into order and I'll feel better. Right? Um, I've taken Jesus' teaching of do to others what you'd have them do to you. I rewrote it. It goes like this. Do to others what they did to you. Do to others what worse than they did to you. Here's my favorite. Do to others before they do it to you. Right? Kind of a preemptive strike. Here's the truth, though. And we all, we've, you know, we, let's be honest. We've lived big chapters of our life of eye for eye, tooth for tooth. You owe me and you wronged me and now it's your turn. Here's the truth is that most of us, and we don't realize this until we're down the road looking in the rearview mirror of our life. We, we, we look back and we see how much time and energy we poured into paying back and punishing and all the mistakes that we made trying to prove that they were right or wrong. And all the intoxication of not just substance, but just of rage. And we look back over our life and realize, realize all that energy and all that effort and all that anger and all that payback did nothing but hijack our life. It defined who we were. It dictated how I should act and ripped me off. And here's just the, uh, the, the kind of the bummer of this whole thing. At the end of all that rage and all that payback, I still have to deal with what they did to me. It just kind of... Extended it, but I still have to deal with this question. I want to look at a, a story in the Bible today. And whether, you know, whether you're a Bible person or not, there's a, there's a story in here that um, I think you can relate to. I've never been able to understand this story. I mean, it's a great story. I learned it as a little kid and stuff like that. But when I say I've never been able to understand it, I mean this. If I was this guy, I don't think I could do what he did. He's a better man than me. And if you listen to the story tonight and you're sitting there going, oh, if you're asking me to do that or if God's expecting me to do that, I'm telling you, I'm, not, I'm just not going to do that. Just not there yet. That's cool. Don't, don't, don't worry about that. Just listen. Kind of starts, it picks up with this story. His name's Joseph. He's 17 years old. He's got a pretty good family. He's got a bunch of brothers, but he's the favorite of the family. You might have heard this story before. He gives, his dad gives him a coat of many colors and, and it spoils him. And, and Joseph, you know, he's a little cocky. At least he's not very humble about it. One night at dinner, he kind of says, uh, can I have your attention? I've been having these dreams and the dreams are God has told me I'm going to be a star. and You're going to bow down to me. Isn't that cool? The brothers are like, no, it's really not that cool. But Joseph's walking around going, life is good. He's feeling good. God's on my side. Remember that? We talked about this last week. Remember there's a time in your life where you think life is good, life is cool, and God kind of likes me? See, the dream stuff didn't go over really well with his brothers. They're looking at him going, first of all, he's dad's favorite. He's a spoiled brat. He gets all the stuff. And now he thinks he's better than us. One day they just say, come here, dreamer. They beat the crap out of him. They throw him down a well. They think that's not good enough. They sell him into slavery. Now, you got to be thinking, what are you thinking, Joseph? By the way, they took his coat and ripped it up and covered it in blood and took it home and said, hey, dad, Joseph got eaten by a bear. I think you call that dysfunctional family. I don't know what yours is like, but this might trump it. Okay, but so Joseph now in the back of a cart on his way to Egypt. What are you thinking now? 
you know, last week life was good and everything's great and God loves me and God's on my side. Now I just got beat up, betrayed, and sold. So Joseph goes down to Egypt and he's bought by this guy named Potiphar. And Joseph um, comes like head butler of the whole house. I mean, he's, he's doing great, but as he gets promoted up through the ranks, his, Potiphar's wife looks at him and goes, you're really good looking. Would you like to have, have an affair? Would you like to sleep with me? And over and over. And some, some you know, people are experts on this say that he didn't, she just didn't come to him like one day or twice or three times. Some people think it was up to 10 years daily. She came and going, come on, have sex with me. No one will ever know about it. Just let's go have this affair. And Joseph's trying to do the right thing. I'm, no, please go away. I'm trying to follow God. She gets mad and accuses him of rape and you know, he's a, he's a slave. He didn't get a trial. He just, they just throw him in jail. Again, now you're in jail and you're Joseph. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? Where's God now? Where's my God? I thought he was good. So he's down in jail and some guys that used to work for Pharaoh, the king, they're down there in jail with him and he starts having, they start having these dreams and Joseph's like this dream interpreter. So he looks at these two guys and he goes, well, hey, it's a bad dream. You're going to die. Sorry. And this other guy, he looks at him and goes, hey, you're going to get your job back with the king. And here's, here's the thing is when you get in front of the king, will you remember me? Well, I can get you out of here and stuff like that. But when you get in front of the king, would you just kind of go and go, hey, there's this guy in prison and his name's Joseph and he didn't do what they said he was doing. Could you, could you let him go? Would you remember me? Sure, no problem. And so the guy gets let, you know, let go and he gets his job back and he forgets all about Joseph. Again, you're Joseph, you're sitting in jail. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? Where's God? Ever asked that question? Two more years, not two more days or two more weeks or two more months, two more years. You know, Joseph sits in jail and Pharaoh starts having dreams. And nobody can tell him what, he, what they mean. Finally, the guy that got set free kind of goes, I know this guy. I knew him two years ago. And they pulled Joseph out of prison. They put him in front of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh, he says to Pharaoh, hey, Pharaoh, I can tell you what your dreams meant. You're gonna, your crops are going to be amazing over the next seven years. I mean, you're going to better crops than you've ever gotten before. But after that, it'll be seven years. It's not going to rain and no more crops. And if I were you, here's what I would do. I would just start storing up all the crops and buying up everybody's crops. Because at the end of that seven years, nobody's going to have anything to eat. They didn't know this was coming. They'll have to come to you. You can, you can jack the price up as high as you want and you'll get rich. And Pharaoh's like, this guy knows his stuff. So he sets him free from prison, makes him the governor of Egypt, uh, gives him a mansion, gives him a wife, gives him wealth. Joseph's 30 years old. Life's kind of good right now. A few years into this famine, because that whole part of the world, it stopped raining, all right? Um, everybody had to come to Egypt. And what they would do is they would come in and they would bow down in front of Joseph and say, would you sell us some food? Guess who shows up a couple years into this famine? It's his brothers. You know, and he recognizes them. They don't. They don't think Joseph's even on the map anymore. They think they got rid of him. They think that, you know, he's dead. I mean, he's certainly not the governor of Egypt. He's, he's probably some slave pit someplace, way off, forgotten. But Joseph knows. Now, let's be honest. If you're Joseph, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? I can tell you what I'd be feeling. I'm just going to be really honest with you. This might sound horrible for a pastor. I'm thinking I'm mad. I'm it's payback time. I'd be looking at these guys bowing down for me. And I'm going, you know, the last time I saw you, my family, you beat the crap out of me. You know, you, 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 uh, you threw me in a well. You sold me off like I'm some dog you didn't want anymore. I lost everything. I, I, lost my, I lost my home. I lost my family. I lost my freedom. And you did this to me. You did all of this to me. This isn't my fault. It's your fault. And for 13 years, by the way, I was a slave. And I was in prison. I was accused of a crime I didn't do. You know, you went on with your life. You acted like nothing happened. You guys looked healthy. And you went on and got married and had kids. And you're living up in my house. And you come in here like it, like it doesn't matter. Now, 
Who's the man now? Who, I, my life's going well for me now, and you show up here and you expect me to help you? No, I don't know. You know. I've read through this story a whole bunch of times this past week, and I think, I think we over-spiritualize Bible people. I think there's so many times they go, and God loves me, so I love you. And I, you know what? Five times in this story, as he's talking to his brothers, five times he has to run in the other room and collapse crying. Weeping. One time they think he's like had a nervous breakdown. I mean, all the servants are outside going, I think he's crazy. He's just in there wailing and crying. He's so distraught. I think he's got tug of war going on inside of him. Right? Have you ever had tug of war going on inside of you? I know what I ought to do, but I know what I feel like doing. I, I know what they deserve and I know this and I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Maybe he's glad to see him. Maybe he's just going to throw him back in the same prison. It's payback time. And this is where Joseph's a better man than I am. Finally, he gets them all together and he goes, it's me. I'm Joseph. The brother you sold into slavery. If you're taking notes right now, this would be called an oh crap moment. (laughs) If if you're one of the brothers, because they're scared. He says they were terrified for several reasons. First, they know what they did. Second, they know what they deserve. And third, they know what they would do if they were Joseph. Joseph realizes, just like he has something else going on in his head. There's something bigger going on here. There's something higher going on here. So he not only forgives them, he feeds them. And then he says, go back and get my dad and all your wives and and all your kids and bring them down here and I'll take care of everybody. And he does that, brings them all down to Egypt. A few years later, Joseph's dad dies and all the brothers get terrified again. Now the dad's out of the way, I bet Joseph's gonna pay us back now. So they send a message to Joseph. Hey, dad wanted you to forgive us and he did, but now we're asking, are we really forgiven? Listen to how Joseph responds here. Look at this, This this is again, he's a better man than me. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Am I, am, am I sitting on a throne? Am I in charge of the universe? Don't, don't be afraid. Am I in place of God? See, you intended to harm me. You did. But God intended. If you have, if you have your Bible with you, you might want to circle those words intended. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what's now being done. What do you mean what's being done? The saving of many lives. If that didn't happen, hadn't happened, I'm not saying it was meant to happen. I'm just saying that if it hadn't happened and God hadn't used it, there'd be a lot of people dying right now. So then don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. You know why I love that so much? Because Joseph didn't look at him. And this is what I think we're tempted to do sometimes when someone apologizes. Joseph didn't look at him and go, ah, don't worry about it. Ah, it doesn't matter. Ah, let's just forget about the whole thing. That's not what he said. He calls it out. He looks at these guys and goes, "Um, you intended to harm me. Can we just say it? You intended to harm me. You did wrong against me. You intentionally hurt me. It wasn't an accident. You sold me. You discarded me. You intended bad. But God, it's the same word, intended, devised, turned it around, redefined what you did to me and turned it into something good. You don't have to be afraid of me. I'm not going to take revenge. I'll give you what you need, not what you deserve. You know what you call that, giving you what you need and not deserve? You know what you call that? You call that, if you want to write this down, it's really important. It's called not fair. It's called not fair. Fair is getting what's coming to you. Fair is getting what you deserve. And I like fair when I'm, when I'm on the right side of fair, right? But if I'm on the right side of right, and I uh, give me what's coming to me, like money, you owe me money. Give me what's coming to me. You owe me this, you owe me this. You know, you owe me a reward, you owe me a paycheck, you owe me, you know, you owe me a debt. Whatever that is, I like it when, when I got what's coming to me when I'm on the right side of right. But when I'm on the wrong side of right, getting what's fair, 
I don't want what's fair. I want not fair. I want, I want not fair. You know what another word for not fair is? Grace. Grace literally translates. It's not fair. Now, I had a couple aha moments this past week. This is kind of a weird message for me to write. You know, it's like, but I had a couple aha moments. And here, here's, here's what I mean by this. I think I finally clicked in my head. I've been studying this for a long time. I think I finally know what Jesus meant when he said, turn the other cheek. You know, when Jesus said, uh, if somebody comes up to you and smacks you on the side of the face, uh, turn the other cheek. Um, it kind of clicked with me. He wasn't saying, be a doormat. Let people beat you up. You know, he, he wasn't saying, let people take advantage of you. He wasn't saying, don't protect yourself. That's not what he said. He wasn't saying that being slapped in the face shouldn't matter. Just blow it off. He was saying this. When you do get slapped in the face, whatever that looks like, physically, emotionally, relationally, when somebody slaps you, when somebody hurts you or insults you or degrades you and embarrasses you, someone slaps you, could you be the person where the long string of face slapping stops? Could it end with you? All the eye gouging and teeth knocking, could you be the one where it stops? See, the purpose of today, you know, as we're talking about forgiveness, is not to decide whether or not the person that did something to you should have done it to you. That's not the point tonight. Should they have cheated on you or lied to you or divorced you? Should they have raped you, hit you, abused you, abandoned you, or deserted you? Should they have done what they've done to you? Should they have done that? No. There you go. If you needed to hear that, no, they shouldn't have done it to you. Does anybody feel better now? No. It doesn't make me feel any better. See, I can't change what happened because it happened. The purpose today is to ask, now that they did that to me, what am I going to do? I can't change what happened. I can't change what he did to me. I can't change what, the way she treated me. I can't change what they were supposed to do and didn't. I can't change that. The purpose today is now that they did that, what am I going to do? Do I let that define me? Well, I guess they did that to me. That's who I am and what I am. Do I let it drive everything from now on? Do I de- allow it to determine how I'm going to live my life from this point on? Those are important questions, folks. You know, a couple weeks ago we looked at this, is that every decision that we ever make falls on other people, like an avalanche. And once you kind of set it off, you really don't have any control. You make a decision, it kind of falls on other people, you know? And the same thing with pain and suffering in my life. You might be totally justified to be bitter about something. You know what? I'm with you. You ought to be bitter. You probably ought to be more bitter than you are. If I were you, I'd be more bitter. There. All right? All right? But here's the thing is, if you allow bitterness to define you, it'll define everything you touch. Everyone you touch. You say, well, I don't want it to. It doesn't matter. It's who you are. You might have every reason to be angry or sad or mad or, or hurt because of what happened to you. And if I were you, I'd be hurt and sad and mad and angry too. But if we allow what happened to us to be the thing that defines us, it will fall on everybody around us. No matter whether we want it to or not. If it's who you are, then whenever you go, it goes with you because it's who you are. You know, Last year, uh, my wife Robin stood up here and shared her testimony about she has bipolar disorder and migraine headaches and seizure disorder and this long string of, string of, of, of things. And it's really robbed us of years and years and years of our marriage and of our life. And all of you have, that go through depression and all those who live with people with depression, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But I kind of came out looking like a rose in that story. I looked good. You know, I was there and I raised the kids and I cleaned the house and I cooked the food while Robin was curled up in a ball in the, in the bedroom and stuff like that. And when she went to the hospital, you know, I you know, still you know, was a youth minister and all this. I, I came off looking great. That's not really true. I, I, I held it together. You know, you know when I got mad is when she started getting better. You can't get mad at somebody that's sick. 
You can't get some, mad at somebody that's curled up in a ball, strung out on medication, you know, with covers over her head because she wants to die. How can you get mad at someone like that? But now that she's better, trying to intrude back into my life, now I'm mad. Took about two, $3,000 worth of counseling to work through that one, folks. You know, my wife finally looked at me and went, I'm sorry. Listen, I'm not saying, hey, get over it and move on. Act like it didn't happen. But the truth is, we're never going to be able to move on, move on or get over it or be the people we want to be until someday we do something that's very unfair. And that's forgive. It's not fair. I'll give it to you. Now, don't wait for, you know, don't run for the door and go and, oh, he's thinking about forgiveness. I think a lot of us have a bad definition, a wrong definition of forgive. Forgive doesn't mean act like it didn't happen to you. Pretend like it didn't happen or it doesn't matter. Pretend like you've come to grips with what happened and now you're okay with it. You're kind of, you're kind of glad it happened. It's not, it's, it'll never be all right what happened. I'll give that to you. It'll never be all right. Forgiveness has little to do with what they did or do or don't do. Whether they deserve forgiveness or not. Whether they accept your forgiveness or throw it back in your face. You can't change people. It's not your job. Forgiveness is less about them. It's mostly about us. It's about ourselves. See, the word forgive, all right, listen, it's actually a financial term. It's an accounting term. It literally means to cancel a debt. Translated, you don't owe me anymore. It's a decision. To cancel a debt. You don't, you don't owe me anymore. Financially, if somebody owes you money, you got two options. You pay me back what you owe me. Or you forgive, you cancel the debt. And forgiveness literally means you don't owe me what you legitimately owe me. I'm not saying you don't owe me. I'm, I'm saying I'm making a decision. You don't owe me. I'm making a decision. And my decision is not based on what you might do or might not do. I've decided because I'm in control of my life. I'm making this decision. I don't need you and I'm not requiring you to pay me back what you owe me. I'm not waiting on you to do anything before I'm okay. I'm choosing tonight. I cancel what you owe me. You owe me. Just not anymore. And forgiveness has a close cousin. It's called forget. And forget does not mean I don't remember. I just can't remember. You saying I, you know, I was divorced? You saying I got raped? You saying I got laid off? I don't remember that. That's crazy. That's not what the word forget means. Forget means this. Not that your memories are gone. You'll always have memories. Forget means this. Um, I just can't hold on to this anymore. I just can't carry this anymore. Last week we looked at this guy named Paul. He says, I'm going to forget what's behind. Not that I'm going to have amnesia. You know, I'm, I'm going to let go. I'm not going to carry it anymore. I'm not going to hold it against you anymore. I, I love this phrase. This is, mem- this is worth memorizing right here. I will not let the past define my future. I won't. Did it happen? Yeah. Should it have happened? Absolutely not. I'm just making a decision tonight. I'm not going to let what happened own my future. Forgive and forget doesn't mean it doesn't matter. It didn't happen. And I don't remember. And get this. Forgive and forget doesn't mean there aren't consequences. Right? Parents, we know that. Our kids, you know, make a huge mistake and we forgive them, but they're still grounded, right? They come in late, you know, they, they, they come in from a party in a condition they shouldn't be, you know. I forgive you totally. You just can't go to any more parties for a while. It's just the way it is. You can tell the judge, I'm really sorry for, you know, robbing that bank or driving under the influence or speeding. And, but here's the thing. Between the time you pulled me over and the time you got up here, I prayed about it and God forgave me, so I'm good. Um, that, may, that may be true. You still have to go to jail consequences. 
That's why around here we do background checks on everybody that works with our kids at Flatirons. Here's why. If you've ever committed a crime against children, listen, we love you and God's forgiven you and we're glad you come to this church. You just can't work in the nursery. To forgive and forget doesn't mean I automatically trust you and that there's no fallout. It means I'm just not going to use our past and what you did to me as a weapon against you or be held as a prisoner to it. It's not going to define my life. Here's the other aha moment I kind of had this week. I'm trying to figure out why would, you, why would we ever forgive somebody unfairly? I mean, if somebody pays us back and kind of makes it even, you know, it's like, I guess I can forgive you. But why would we ever unfairly, they don't deserve it, forgive somebody? Because I got to be honest with you, you know, I can dismiss the whole first, everything I've said so far, because if somebody does something bad enough to me, I'm okay with living with rage. I'm okay with being ticked off, even if it blows up 50 other things in my life. If you do something bad enough to me, I can live with high blood pressure. I, I can live with blowing up a few things in my life. I just... I can. Here's the only reason, the only argument I can find in the whole Bible of why anybody would ever decide to unfairly forgive somebody. It's totally dependent upon, it's proportional to how much you understand that God's already done the same thing for you. He's unfairly forgiven you. He gave you not what you deserve. He gave you what you need. And turn back to that turn-the-cheek comparison. If you look at every mistake and every wrong against God that we've ever committed as a slap in the face, He has yet to slap me back in anger. Now, He's corrected me and He's disciplined me, but He's never gone eye for eye, tooth for tooth, slap for slap because He's mad at me. It's not how He works. Let me give you two verses and we're out of here. All right? Look at this one. It says, Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. That word be kind there, it means... This is how it translates. Furnish what's needed, not what's deserved. Could you give what's needed in this situation? And that word uh, c- compassionate means tenderhearted. And it's the same type of compassion that God has towards us. So could you give what's needed? Could you give love? Could you give compassion and tenderheartedness to people like God has given it to you? Forgiving each other. And here's the only reason why. Because God already forgave you. If God's given you a break, could you cut somebody else some slack as well? One more verse. Last week we looked at two verses that Paul wrote to this group of people that screwed up every part of their life, morally, sexually, financially. He says two things to him. First of all, you, you, you were created this way, you messed it up, and then you became a new creation in Christ. And then he took all of your stuff and pushed it onto Jesus and all your good stuff and pushed that onto Jesus. That's all in the same paragraph. But I looked in the middle of the paragraph this week. This is what I found. Look at this. All this is from God. Who reconciled. And keep that word reconcile in your head, okay? All of this, all this, you know, forgiving and stuff like that, is it, from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ on the cross and gave us, look at this, then he turns around and gives us the ministry of reconciliation. Remember that word again. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Look at this. Not counting our sins against us. And he is committed to us. The message of reconciliation. That word reconciliation means this. Um, do whatever's necessary to avoid the demands of justice and wrath. See, justice, fairness, demands you've got to pay for what you did wrong. Instead, God reconciled us to himself. He did whatever he needed to say, not justice, not wrath, uh, grace. I'm not going to give you what you deserve. I'm going to give you what you need. I'm not going to count it against you. You... God looks at you. You're not going to believe this. Look at this. God looks at you tonight. You know what he says? You don't owe me anything. I cancel it. You don't owe me. It's already been paid for. You don't 
owe me anymore. So here's my last question. If God's willing to give you grace and forgive and cancel what you owe him, is it possible for you to cancel, cancel your need for them to pay you back or make it right? And would it be possible tonight that you would begin to move towards, not totally, but maybe take a step for you to begin to forgive somebody in your life, to let go of the past rather than to continue to allow it to crush you, define you, or destroy your future? Yeah, some of you may be asking, why why are you guys playing songs like this in church? Um, It's actually biblical. Uh, Paul, a guy who wrote a big chunk of the Bible, used to walk into these cities and he'd quote their own poets to them. He'd quote their own philosophers and say, listen, leave God out of it. You you even know this is true, but add God into it. And here's the truth, the heart of the matter. Um, We got to learn to forgive because it'll lead us up. God knows that. God didn't want to take anything from you except the things that are eating you up, and that's forgiveness. Um, every Friday night uh, around here, we have this thing called Shift. And a bunch of people, a bunch of us come into this lobby out here and sometimes in this room and break up all over this, and basically we try to work through some of the, the hurts of life, some of the hurts of life we've caused, and some of the hurts we had nothing to do with. They were just inflicted on us. Somebody else's fault. But we've got to deal with them. We know that. There are these eight principles that, uh, that we go through every Friday night. And uh, principle number six, if you go to shift, you could say it along with me. Principle six goes like this. Evaluate all my relationships. Offer forgiveness to those who hurt me and make amends for harm I've done to others, except when to do so would harm others. Listen, I don't, I don't know your story. You know, I'm not your Holy Spirit. Tonight you might be listening to all this and thinking, I- I'm sure that's true for most people. I think Jesus, what he said about that, the cheek thing and, and uh, you know, and the things Paul wrote about as God's forgiveness, I'm sure that works for most people. And most people in this room ought to do that. But if you just knew my story, if you just knew what happened to me and what he had done to me or what she had done to me or what they had done to me, you know, I, I think if you just knew my situation, you would look at me or God would look at me and go, you're right, this doesn't apply to you. You get a buy on this. You're in another category. You should be more angry. You should be more bitter. If I were you, I would, I, I, would, I would go pay them back. You know, They might not deserve to be forgiven. You may be right there. All, all I know tonight is this. God is not going to ask you or tell you to go do something more than he's willing to give you the strength to do. If he tells you to go forgive somebody, he's not going to do that unless he gives you the strength to do it. Tonight, you might be thinking, you know, I know, I know. I know I should forgive. I need to forgive. I'm just not there yet. All right. All right, I'm, I'm with you in some places in my life. Maybe someday, not yet. That's between you and God. You guys will work it out. We're going to close uh, tonight uh, with a prayer that we use around here every Friday night. It's called the Serenity Prayer. Uh, and I'm going to ask you, would you everybody stand together with me? And uh, we're going to say this out loud. This is our closing prayer. I know it's kind of, we don't do this very often, but um, I just think that it, it resounds really well. With the, puts language to what we're trying to talk about today. So let's, let's pray this out loud together. And then Randy will lead us in one more, one more song. Here we go. Ready? Go. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, 
trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen.